Hi, I'm Mark Brody, and this is the Friday Newscap Podcast. Each week, we review the biggest stories with experts, reporters, and commentators to put the news in perspective. Here's this week's episode. For generations, groundwater has supported Arizona communities. In times of shortage, it is groundwater that we turn to as a backup. In many communities throughout Arizona, it is the only water supply available, and so we must manage it wisely. We join communities such as Tucson, as well as the Gila River Indian community in being part of the solution. I'm hopeful that this will be part of a bridge agreement to get us to another major agreement on the Colorado River. He has just been the front and center on this issue, defending the 3,000 plus election workers and volunteers who have done everything in their power to serve the people of Maricopa County and exercise the most fundamental right we have, the right to vote. The percentage now of, of students that, that have not been in public school has been reduced from uh, 78% to 49%. And that is a trend which we think will continue. ASU Health is a learning health ecosystem designed to accelerate and grow our health-related efforts in response to Arizona's current and future healthcare needs. That's different than just the design of a, of a medical school. All right, to discuss all that, joining us are Stacy Pearson, political consultant and co-founder of Lumen Strategies, and Chuck Coughlin, CEO and president of the political consulting firm High Ground. Welcome to you both. It's great Hi. to be here. So uh, let's start with the big announcement uh, yesterday from the governor's office through the Arizona Department of Water Resources that there was not enough groundwater to meet 100-year demands, which could curtail any new major development in some of the fastest-growing areas of Metro Phoenix. Uh, this uh, seems like a pretty big deal. Uh, Stacy, you want to start? Sure. I, the headlines, I'm sure, give economic development directors across our state bleeding ulcers. Um, but ultimately, we're talking about a 96-year supply, not a 100-year supply. And there is certainly time to course correct. And it is going to be the focus of our federal and state elected officials. Let's let's be clear about what we're actually talking about, because that's a significant thing that I think the New York Times and others failed to grasp yesterday. What she's talking about is um, areas, unincorporated areas on the fringes of Maricopa County that do not have assured water supply certificates. Everybody else, every city has a major has a has a certified water certificate. Um, what they don't have, like uh, Queen Creek does not. Um, Santan Valley does not. Unincorporated areas. Unincorporated areas in places on the fringe. And you will recall earlier she, um, in, the, in her state, state of the state speech, she released um, a report, which she presumably said that Governor Ducey had been sitting on. So this is a, an extension of that giving the Department of Water Resources authority to publicly declare that it is not. But the overall picture for water in Arizona is actually pretty good. Um, you know, the, the, and, and we're not talking about the two biggest water supplies in the state. We're talking about the Colorado is one, and then the White Mountain, the Verde, and the Salt is the other. And that, that water supply is in amazing shape. As we saw earlier this year, the project is releasing water uh, from Roosevelt Dam. So there's a, I mean, I've, I've flown over Roosevelt with the SRP guys, and they'll, they'll tell you if 
it didn't rain for three years, we're good. <laughs> if you live in the Salt River Project area, we're good. So there's, it's very complicated, but I, I don't think the, the media got it fully correct yesterday. We're just talking about groundwater here. It has yes. nothing to do right. with the Colorado right. River. Right. Uh, but uh, the reason it sounds bad is because, I mean, we're talking about yeah. a growing community here. We're trying to come silicon desert, if you will, by attracting all these new people. But right. where are they going to live if they don't have a, have a water supply? That, that seems to be the big reason for panic, at least on the surface. And even so much those, the TSMCs of the world need water as well. And so to Chuck's point, we're talking about apples and lightning rods, but <laughs> it's an issue that certainly has captured the attention of folks nationally, media in particular, and it does not reflect well on our state right now. Yeah, those, those cities have housing supplies. I mean, Peoria, Goodyear, Phoenix, um, all of those Northwest Valley cities, um, Maricopa County in, in some of those areas, Sun City, Sun City West, um, have Phoenix, um, have assured water supplies. We're good. We're, we're, in, we're not bad shape. They will continue to grow. They will continue to provide housing, and they will continue to develop housing for additional growth in those communities. Well, and one one other point to make is Senator Cinema secured four billion dollars in funding for Arizona's water and to add resources, add dams, add infrastructure. Uh, so there is help coming. The gallery's yeah. coming. I, I think the Sarah Porter at the Kyle Center got it correct. She goes. This is sort of a, a blow across the stern of the sprawl bandwagon. Mm-hmm. So it really is, to the extent that we really want to think about it and categorize it in terms of how this affects, it's really that growth on the periphery as, as the metropolitan areas continue to grow. It's really a shot across those people west of the white tanks, so way out there in Maricopa County, and people um, in the far southeast valley that um, we're seeing a lot of growth, um, but y- y- they do not have that assured water supply. Right, let's, let's move on. Um, at the uh, the state legislature, a new read on the continued cost explosion of Arizona's empowerment scholarship program now estimated at costing the state $900 million this coming school year, uh, more than 60 percent, uh, more than what's in the state budget for this year. Uh, did Republicans, Chuck, know what they were getting into by approving the expansion? <laughs> Where does it end? It's the most ironic thing that we've sort of switched hands here, that now Republicans are talking about spending more money on public education when historically, or education Private in general. education. Well, yeah. education, right? Because mm-hmm. that's been the... the, the the, the anchor around where you get po- Republican political motivation to spend money on education. Now they're spending it, you know, with wheelbarrows full of cash uh, and they're wheeling them right in. And so the, the question to me will become, uh, did they know? I don't think, no. JLBC under forecast this quite dramatically. And what we will now see is an aggressive effort at oversight, at fraud, at how these dollars are being spent, where they're going, and we'll have a discussion, which I like. I think there's a great opportunity here. So two years ago when we actually did this, when the legislature actually did this, we also got $100 million more. We got a, we got a boost 
for uh, Title I schools, for schools that are underperforming and serve those needy kids. And we put that in the base, which is a big deal. So there is a trade-off here that can be exploited politically. So Republicans now want more money. Democrats want more money for Title I, you know, for poor schools. So there, there will be a a healthy tension going forward. Yeah, Stacey, is it a case of I told you so for Democrats? Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, this is an abject disaster. We we have folks with no means testing sending their kids to Brophy and Xavier. My neighbors in Arcadia do not need state funding to send their kids when we don't have full-day kindergarten restored. I mean, th- this is the, the lack of prioritization um, it is, is sinful, to be perfectly honest. I don't know. And one more thing before we take our first break here. Also this week, uh, the news that uh, Maricopa County Supervisor Bill Gates said he will not seek re-election in 2024. He served for two terms. Uh, he was a board chair, most notably. He and his family have faced intense criticism, threats, harassment from uh, Trump supporters after voting to certify the 2020 election, uh, had to seek professional help for PTSD. Uh, it's kind of a chilling reminder of what elected officials are facing in this day and age and how hard it is to find good people to endure this, this kind of abuse. Yeah, it it is heartbreaking. It, Bill Gates, where whereas I don't agree with most anything on his uh, philosophical agenda, is an honorable public servant, and he defended a free and fair election. And his family should never be subjected to that kind of harassment. Yeah, Bill, we represent Maricopa County, so there's a disclosure there. Mm-hmm. But um, I think the world of Bill. I've known him since he was on the Phoenix City Council. He's a lawyer. He's a lawyer's lawyer. Harvard you know, lawyer. Harvard. Yeah. Harvard. You know. Uh, well-trained, very disciplined, very unemotional about how he handles things. And I think this was just a, a barrage of, of negativity that he could not handle. And I think the, the, it, 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 it's sad. It's sad. It, and it is a statement about what it means to serve in public life. Uh, Mr. Hickman called me yesterday. We're going to go out for dinner and we're going to talk about, you know, what do we do? Because, uh, you know, it's going to change the composition of the board. Um, that should be the thing we're all thinking about is who's going to take Bill's spot? Is that going to be some crazy right wing right. Republican or some crazy left wing Democrat? I mean, the board's been pretty well managed for a long time. Uh, they've not been a source of a lot of noise. Used to be 25 years ago, used to be. Uh, but that doesn't happen because they've been a pretty professional organization. And so uh, we're interjecting extreme partisanship into this now. And it'll be very interesting to see what the new board ends up looking like. And that is Chuck Coughlin. Also here is Stacey Pearson. It's our Friday newscap here on KJZZ. I'm Phil Latzman sitting in for Mark Brody. And so Katie Hobbs, the governor, now has a new chief of uh, staff, a former Arizona House Democratic leader, Chad Campbell, replaces Ali Bones, who resigned last week after just a few months on the job. So in full disclosure, uh, Stacey Chad is your longtime business partner at Lumen. He's been a frequent guest on this panel. What made him decide to get back into the arena? He mountain bikes often, so we all assume it was a head injury, maybe. He wasn't wearing a helmet. I don't, I'm not sure. Um, no, that, Sounds that's like just, a little scorn there. Yes, some, something's there. No, I, I, Chad is uh, the greatest strategist and um, pragma, you know, pragmatic um, politico that I know. And, and he is going to be a tremendous asset to the ninth floor. And I, I really look forward to what those folks are going to accomplish together. Chuck, you've been in and out of uh, consulting and government uh, before, so you know exactly what this is like. Why do you think he chose to go back into it? 
Um, you know, it's all of us have uh, an obligation to serve and to help people. Um, and it's on the outside, it's frustrating to watch um, people struggle. Um, and this administration did well. But like all previous administrations, um, they all make changes. Um, and what we observed on the outset of the Hobbs administration was it had a fairly lack of legislative experience at the top levels of her office. Um, obviously, that's a hugely important relationship for a governor to be able to navigate. Um, Allie did a good job as far as her skill set could take her. So I think what Chad has chosen to do is the honorable thing and go up and use the skill set which he has, which is an amazing ability to talk to people. He's been a minority leader. Um, he was a minority leader when Governor Brewer was uh, was the governor. Um, and I looked at a clip that got circulated uh, the other day. Uh, the hug. It, it, yeah, it was, uh, he said in a press conference uh, with the Governor Brewer, he goes, you know, uh, uh, I, I, who would have ever thunk that I would have gotten two pens from Governor Brewer who'd sign and she, she comes l- walking in and she goes, behave. And he laughs and they, they hug. Um, but he helped with the Medicaid uh, restoration argument at the in the Capitol. He was a very key component of that. I actually remember talking to him in that cycle when he was a legislator. I said, hey, hey, tone down the criticism. I said, we're working with you uh, because the governor was sensitive to what she was saying. So it's it's a uh, it, it's a it's a big advantage to have somebody up there with his legislative experience. And it's a blessing to the Hobbs administration that he said yes. And we could all use a few more hugs, I think, uh, <laughs> throughout the whole thing. Uh, the, the Arizona legislature, by the way, basically on break uh, this week, uh, what else do they need to get accomplished? And uh, Stacey, what else could get vetoed by by Governor Hobbs? Is well, there's the really, record. yeah, there's three buckets that are outstanding, the most important being Prop 400. So allowing voters to maintain status quo on in Maricopa County for our roads, highways, public transportation. And so I think we're going to see that logjam break. We still have the rental tax, whether or not um, that zombie comes back. Um, and we also then have housing. And so um, what she's going to veto, I think, depends in large part on on how the negotiations on Prop 400 go. And the cities in Maricopa County have been very clear about how important this is. And I also want to mention that the deal that's being discussed is what the Republicans and the Democrats approved last year that then Ducey went on to veto. And so it, it's a matter of moving this project forward and making sure we've got roads, highways, light rail, public transportation we need. Yeah, um, there's going to be a deal. Uh, It's going to be, as she says, on the rental tax. I think the League of Cities and Towns is working with the legislature to say, can you replace that revenue? Can we delay the implementation of that? Can we replace that revenue for those 91 cities that attacks that? Because most cities' money goes to public safety. So I think there's a deal to be had. And in exchange for that, I think the Democrats and, and and the governor will end up getting some version of Prop 400 that's acceptable to the mayors. All right. Meanwhile, uh, last Friday, after uh, Carrie Lake lost her final chance to prove misconduct in the verification <laughs> of early ballot signatures, we found out that she and her tur- and attorneys would not have to pay penalties. Uh, the Maricopa County uh, judge said her claims appear to have, have been made in good faith. However, the same could not be said for a losing Secretary of State candidate Mark Fincham in a separate ruling from a different judge ordered him to pay more than $40,000 in legal fees and costs to Adrian Fontes, the Democrat who beat him in November. So why him and uh, not her? I 
just want this to continue to stay in the news cycle. It's the greatest thing <laughs> well, that could happen to Democrats. I don't know why him and not her. Um, but I just I'm glad that we're still talking about this because the tinfoil hat wearing election deniers continue to erode Republican support um, and, and the Republican base. And for every one of those women in Mesa who re-register as an independent, we um, our, our party gains a, a little angel, a little voting angel. So why uh, is a significant? It's two different judges. Two different so judges. The right. judge who is a very conservative judge who heard Mrs. Legg's case just wants to be done with this. He's had this thing, as Stacy said, in front of him from the get-go, and he just wants it to be over. The judge with uh, Fincham was another attorney judge who a little bit more righteous uh, and threw the book at him. And so, you know, we'll see what happens. Stacy's absolutely correct. The more Dem- Republicans talk about this, the more celebration there is on the other side. I think I, I told Time Magazine the other day, I said, Lake would have won if she bought a ticket to go to Hawaii and shut up. Yeah. I mean, literally, <laughs> if she bit- left the state, she would have won the election. And uh, But she, you know, she was her own worst enemy and continues to be her own worst enemy in terms of expanding the voter universe that she needs to obtain in order to win a statewide Yeah, election. I'm really excited about a potential Senate race. I mean, it's the it, it, it's fabulous. I, she can talk about laser beams and our voting machines. Like, let's go. We, we saw what just happened in the gubernatorial race. Hey, she's and, doing a ballot chasing program. Oh, now. yeah, it's great. So that's really yeah. modern yep. of her to do begin doing things that we've been doing for 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> go harvest. Go ballot harvesting. Let's see it. Guy, we're running out of time, but one final thing I wanted to get to. ASU yesterday announced it would start up its own medical school. A $30 million investment that school president Michael Crow says is aimed at improving health in Arizona, citing an ongoing shortage of health care workers in the state. The U of A has had medical school for 50 years. Uh, why does ASU need its own medical school and why now? Well, as a Sun Devil, I think ASU should absolutely have a medical school. Uh, ASU should have all of the schools. So, yeah, I think it is. Uh, and certainly the the Arizona state shortage of doctors has been well documented, particularly in rural Arizona. And it, it is true that doctors who graduate medical school tend to stay in the state that they graduate. And so the more schools we have, the more doctors we churn out, the more MDs we inject into the state's economy, the better for all of us. Yeah, yeah, and the, there are a couple of private, other private medical sure. schools in the state, uh, but the only uh, public yeah, this is a this is a legacy of the institutional behavior that Tucson will do this, Phoenix will do, Tempe will do this, and Dr. Crow just saw that as a vestige of another time. And as Stacy said, we need more medical um, education, and he is uh, you know number one in innovation. So Crow's been here for a long time, though. Unbelievable. Why? Why, why take this long to decide that you need a medical school? I, I, th- I think it's, a, it, you know, they've got the bio campus downtown now. They've got the, 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 the groundwork in place to support that culture. It, you can't just go, hey, let's have a medical school. And, and they've got a nursing school. They have the groundwork research ability on the ground here now to support that kind of infrastructure. And I think he's comfortable moving in that direction. Well, and two, there is some federal assistance there as well. I yeah. mean, the, the, there are more spots available for, um, for Medicare and Medicaid funded residencies. So and yeah. that by way of Senator Sinema as well. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Friday Newscap. Thanks to uh, Stacy Pearson of Lumen Strategies and Chuck Coughlin of High Ground. Appreciate you both. Thanks for being here. Thank Thanks, you. Phil. 
You've been listening to the Friday Newscap from KJZZ's The Show. It's an original podcast recapping the week's biggest stories with experts, commentators, and reporters. You can get the full show podcast at podcast.kjzz.org. I'm Mark Grody. Thanks for listening. Thank you.